welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are talking about all of the many, many forms of magical transportation. And with that, I wanted to give a special shout out to Mr. Percy Weasley, who (laughs) apparently becomes head of Department of Magical Transportation, which I guess is a thrilling job title. Yeah, so the format of this episode, we're kind of just going to go through the main types of transportation and talk about maybe a little bit the history of them, why they work, maybe why they don't work, and kind of just instances (laughs) where we see them being used in the books. So get ready for that. And for our patron shout out of today, it is our newest patron, Candela. So thank you so much for your support. As of release, you should have definitely gotten your package. But as of recording, I like just sent your package out. So enjoy. Yeah. And Candela is actually the like as as our newest patron is also the last of our patrons to get a shout out. So like if you want to become a patron before we next record is a good time because then you will get your shout out immediately before we start. Yeah. Repeating names. Yeah. So I'm just saying if you want your name on the pod. If you want us <laughs> to read your name out loud on the podcast. Send and us. express our deep appreciation. Yeah. For support. Then support us on Patreon. all right and so not really any pod specific announcements today but I just did want to give a little bit little announcement that we are recording November 21st um this episode is not coming out for a little over a week so this will be a bit of a dated announcement but November 20th yesterday for day of day of recording was transgender day of remembrance which is something that's celebrated on the same day every year at the end of Transgender Awareness Week, just to take a day and honor and remember the lives that have been lost, the trans lives that have been lost to violence, transphobia, all of the terrible things that we know are very way too prevalent. So even it, even though you'll be listening to this much after day, Transgender Day of Remembrance, I just want to encourage you to take a moment Um, remember those lives and think about things that you can do to make this world a better place for trans folks and yeah just reflect on kind of what that day means and take a moment and recommit yourself to fighting transphobia especially since it's something that's particularly relevant to our Harry Potter community. Yeah, if you have one of our transgender flag buttons, maybe pop that on one day to show your support of the community out in the wild. <laughs> so, really nice transition right into the episode. <laughs> I don't um, know what else to say. <laughs> we're going to start with apparition. Um, so, this is the method of transportation where you immediate, where you disappear and you immediately appear where you wanted to end up. Um, it's probably the most popular form of travel, especially over longer distances for adults in the wizarding world. Um, it's instantaneous, it's free. So for flu powder, you need, or for flu, for the, for the flu network, you need flu powder, um, to ride a broomstick, you need to own a broomstick, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's completely free. I will say you did say 
that it's the most popular form over long distances, maybe, but also if you are a Weasley who has just learned how to operate, aka Percy or the twins, yeah. you may even use it for short distances. Well, it's kind of like driving. You know, when you first get your license, um, you're like, Mom, I'll go to the grocery store. Like, I'll drive to the grocery store. Yeah. Like, I'll go. Like, I'll, I'll go. help. Yeah. Or like, hey, I'm going to go get ice cream. Does anybody want ice cream? Like, I'm just going to drive out and go get some. Um, like, that kind of thing. I feel like it's kind of similar to driving. Like, you want to do it. Or most people, not everybody. Some people don't love driving. That's fine. Um, you want to just do it as much as you can when you, like, are allowed to, finally, you know? Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> But even though it is probably the most popular, it can also be unpleasant, like most of these, <laughs> honestly. All of them have... Most of these have a downside. Yeah, most of these have a negative um harry always describes it as kind of like feeling like you're being squeezed really tight through a like a rubber tube and you can't really i guess breathe when you're doing it um i always loved this description though yeah because i feel like for me it always conveyed the idea that like operating was like like there were like these systems of like invisible tubes like going up in the air like kind of how the flu network is like it feels like a tube like system like to me like I was like oh then it must be like some physical thing as opposed to just like being somewhere and then appearing somewhere else yeah it's kind of like I know I always thought of it as like you're squeezing through like time and space or like dimensions Mm -hmm. you know yeah um and it's, like, always described that when you disappear, you kind of make a faint popping sound. Um, and you do need your wand to apparate, I think. I don't know if this has, like, ever been officially confirmed. I think you do. Okay. I know this is, like, of some debate slash maybe it's just of debate because we see sometimes we're, like, did they really have a wand? That kind of mm. thing. Um, but I'm pretty sure you need your wand to apparate. And... With it being unpleasant, it can also be very dangerous. So if you're not completely focused when you apparate, you can get splinched, which is when you leave a body part behind, which can be kind of funny if you leave your left eyebrow or half of your left (laughs) eyebrow, I think, when, like, Ron failed his apparition test. Or, again, when Ron gets splinched in Deathly Hallows, that Uh, was not as comical. Splinched. Pretty serious. Um, and then there's also such thing as side-along apparition. So if you're underage or if you are not able to apparate yourself, you can join in side-along apparition. So to do this, you have to just hold the arm of the person who can apparate and just kind of like tag along with them on the journey. And then... I feel like this is like really, that side-along apparition is really just like a plot convenience. Yeah, I, I would agree. Because it's never really you... I will say, so there's obviously the one instance where, like, Harry side-along apparates with Dumbledore. That's, like, the yeah. instance that most people think about. But in the side-along apparition section, they also talked about how, like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione apparating out of the Ministry of Magic was technically side-along apparition because Hermione was oh, the one yeah. who did it. They were just kind of all holding hands. Yeah, like, every time they're, like, kind of escaping somewhere in Deathly Hallows. Yeah. That's how they end up going to the same place. Yeah, I think it just... I don't know if it's easier because, like, I'm sure they could all end up in the same place. But if, like, you're going to a forest, it's, like, do you have to know specifically where you want to go in the forest? Or could you just be, like, I would like to operate into the forest of Dean. 
And if they all did it separately, could they just end up miles <laughs> away in the Forest of Dean? Yeah, that's funny. Because if you've never Definitely. been there before, you can't be like, I want to go to this specific, specific place. place. Yeah. I think they talk I, about how it's easier if you've been there before, but not impossible so. if you haven't been there before. Yeah, I also think that, I mean, like, a lot of it in Deathly Hallows, like, they don't know where they're gonna go. They're, like, escaping something. Yeah. And, like, one of them just grabs the other two and apparates and, like, chooses a place. Yeah. So, but, yeah, you make a good point that, like, if you don't, like, if you weren't all thinking of, like, the same specific place, like, like, they've all been to, like, the three broomsticks, so they could all be, like okay, we want to apparate to right outside the three broomsticks. Yeah. And they could probably all, like, get there in the same place. But, like, other than that, it's kind of hard to... Yeah. So I wonder if it's just more convenient. I mean, I don't know how many times, like, people apparate in groups kind of like they were, just because they were on the yeah. run, so it might have been, like, a more... Like, a different circumstance. But if you're apparating yeah. with multiple people, it honestly might just be easier to, like, side along, apparate, not go separately yeah, it's like carpooling yeah yeah save that gas money you know <laughs> save the environment yeah that as well <laughs> and so another form of apparition that we see in the series is house elf apparition so their apparition is a little bit different from wizard apparition it's never really explained what is different about them or why but it's just different and some instances that show it's different is that Dobby can apparate in and out of Malfoy Manor when witches and wizards cannot. And house elves can also apparate inside of Hogwarts grounds when nobody else can. And it kind of made me think, so in Chamber of Secrets, Dobby apparates out of Harry's house, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that's one of the things that like the Ministry of Magic accuses him of doing. Not just the levitation charm? Is that right? Or am I making Harry that up? Doing. Well, because, like, Dobby does the, like, hovering charm, and Harry gets blamed for that, yeah. right? But I think apparition was also included in that. Am I wrong? I honestly have no idea. I'm trying to look it up. Oh, also, another thing is, like, Harry didn't have his apparition license the entire time. Yeah, I have that note at the bottom. Like, He's, like, illegally, <laughs> illegally apparating because he never took his test. Yeah. Do you think that they ever, like, do you think he ever went and took his test after the war? No. No, I don't. <laughs> like, no one questioned it. Yeah. Well, okay, so, like, they have the trace on 17-year-olds that can tell when they do magic. So I'm just confused how they think they're going to enforce apparition without a license if they don't kind of have like a trace on people who aren't licensed to apparate like I feel like that should also be a thing but that's just me okay I guess the letter just mentions the hovering charm it doesn't mention apparition okay because I was gonna say if it popped up like on the ministry scanners the same as like wizard and witch apparition I would be more skeptical that it's really that different but I guess it didn't. Mm-hmm. And then also, so I feel like it, house elf being able to apparate in these instances are portrayed as like, oh, their magic is more powerful than witches and wizards, and that's why they can. But to me, I always kind of thought of it as like, they're just, when the witches and wizards made these restrictions about apparition, yeah. they just like didn't include house elf apparition because they're like, who thinks of house elves, you know? 
that was kind of like more my interpretation of it. And maybe in the case of Hogwarts, they were like specifically like we more convenient for them to you know. Yeah, I kind of always thought that too. Do their work, but definitely with Malfoy Manor, they just like didn't even think of like a house elf as a threat. You know, like that's the downfall of all of the villains and Harry Potter is like underestimating people that aren't pure blood or like aren't wizards so yeah um so then just a little bit about how you get your apparition license so you learn to operate at hogwarts um and you have to be 17 to pass your test but you have to like take these lessons before you're 17 because most people like take the test as soon it's as like they driver's ed. yeah like you take driver's ed and you have your permit depending on like what state you're in they're all kind of different for however long before you get your license um and so the trio, I guess Hermione was already 17 when she took lessons because she turned 17 yeah. pretty early on in the year. And Ron was like about to turn 17. So he and Harry were both 16 during apparition lessons. But I guess Hermione was 17. Um, and Wilkie Twycross was their apparitions instructor. And they took they took these lessons in the great hall and I think all the heads of houses were there to supervise, if not more teachers than that. But for some reason, I only remember it being the heads of houses. Mm, I think you're right. I could be wrong on that. Um, and how they kind of set up the lesson is like, there's like a hula hoop on the ground and he kind of, it's like, this would be very frustrating to me because he, there aren't like firm instructions on really what to do. It's like, you just have to feel it, you know, like you just have to get the feeling. It's like, how do I do that? That's so much of magic, though. <laughs> I guess, yeah. But, like, there's, I guess there's theory behind apparition, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And so, like, what they kind of, what you would have them do is you have to focus on your three Ds, destination, determination, and deliberation. And you kind of, like, spin is how he, like, has them first do it. So yeah. I wonder if you kind of always do that or if you just get, like, kind of proficient that the spinning is, like, training wheels almost. Like, it just makes it easier. Yeah. Like, having emotion makes it easier. Yeah. And um, the first time nobody is successful, I think maybe Susan Bones or somebody, like, splinches themselves, like, yeah. in the first lesson. Um, it's either Susan Bones or is it Hannah Abbott? I get them confused, honestly. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, so one of them does it, and I think, is it Ron... Or somebody, like, spins and, like, leaps into the hula hoop and is like, I did it, I did it. I feel like that's, like, Seamus. (laughs) (laughs) I could see it being Seamus, too. Um, And so they have, like, a couple of these different lessons. And then I guess Hermione and Ron go to take the test pretty early on in March, the first time it's available. And Hermione passes, but as I alluded to earlier, Ron fails because I think he leaves, like, half an eyebrow behind. Wait, this, the apparition lesson takes place in the Great Hall, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So where do they ever explicitly mention that they like lift the apparition? I think bin? they do. Okay. I think they do mention it. Like they, it's only lifted for the great hall for like this specific time when the lesson yeah, is going okay. on. So yeah, that's kind of how you get your license to apparate in the whole process. And then apparition does have a limited range, though. You cannot just travel half the globe in one go mm-hmm. um and it's also implied slash explicitly shown to us in fantastic beast crimes of grindelwald that like you're not really supposed to just like operate into other countries 
kind of supposed to have some like immigration process or I guess immigration isn't the right word because you don't have to be moving there but like travel like visa kind of process like you have to have like documentation to get into that country and like let people know that you're entering that country um and then one specific mention of distance which I thought was really interesting because I was like oh maybe maybe this is just like extra information we got later But actually, in the books, when Voldemort is heading to Malfoy Manor after Bellatrix had called him that Harry was there, we see, like, an inner monologue because he's checking all of the Horcrux locations at this point. And he's, like, flying. He's, like, I'm almost close enough to apparate to Malfoy Manor. So there is, like, a specific mention of, like, you can't travel infinite distances. Is this when he's checking Horcruxes or is this when he's gone to Grindelwald? Because that would make more sense because it's further away. Yeah. Because all of the Horcruxes are, like, in Britain. the UK. Yeah, no, I guess it makes more sense. I had to, for some reason, I had in my mind that he was leaving, like, the rock, like, the, Uh, the place where the locket was, but coming from Grindelwald makes a lot more sense and sounds more correct because I don't know, at this point, no, because this is when he finds out that they're hunting Horcruxes. When he goes back yeah, to Yeah, and he already Manor. has the Elder Wand at that point. Yeah, yeah. So he's definitely coming from Grindelwald, sorry. So yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting because I had kind of just always assumed it was like, oh, extra information to kind of like, I feel like JK does this a couple times where she like puts limits on things that she mentioned in the book, like an extra, mm-hmm. so it's not just like infinite power. Um, but this mm-hmm. is one that was like actually in the book, so I hadn't realized that. Also, just kind of about apparition in general, it's mentioned that it's rude to just apparate into somebody's house. Like, you're supposed to apparate onto the doorstep or right outside um, to not startle people. Dumbledore mentions that when Harry and him side along apparate to see Slughorn. Yeah, and I think that, like, presumably some houses put similar protections. Like, obviously Malfoy Manor had an anti-apparition. Yeah. Disapparition charm. And... Like, I think the burrow, because... Oh, at the point that they were, like, protected. The port keys, when they, like, come back from the Battle of the Seven Potters, and I think also, like, when they apparate back, like, it's always to, like, out... It's, like, just outside the garden or something. So I think it, like, during the war, like, I... And I know, like, 12 Grimmel place, they have to apparate onto the the doorstep, doorstep, which is why they get seen. Yeah. Um... Just, like, some quick things I don't have in my notes but wanted to mention. You bringing up, like, disapparate um, versus apparate, which is something mm-hmm. I've never really thought of, but it's all based on, like, the perspective. So, like, yeah. I apparate, but to you, if I apparate, I disapparate, that kind of thing. If you're with me when you apparate, you're disapparating. Like, to you. But if you're apparating to me, that's apparating. Yeah, it's but, like... like it's, it's, like, coming and going. It's, like... I would say, like, if we're in the same room and you apparate to the next room, I would say you left. Yeah. But if we were in different rooms and you came into my, like, if you apparated into my room, I would say you came. Yeah, but to the person who's doing it, it's, like, always kind of seen as I'm apparating because you're always going somewhere. Like, you know, I, like, I think that's what it mentioned in the wiki article. I was like, oh, I've never really thought about it. That's, like, different on, like, the perspective of, like, who's there. Because for the most part, if I'm leaving, that means I'm, like, going somewhere else, which to me is, like, kind of more important than leaving, if that makes sense. 
I do feel like they might use disoperate sometimes when they're like escaping. Yeah. And it's like Hermione disoper- like disoperated them because the, the point is like to get away from yeah. the place. They it does are, depend you know? a little bit. But like I think for the most part, like if I was going to the grocery store, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm leaving the house. I would be like, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. going to the grocery store. Like operating to the grocery yeah, store. Cause yeah, because I have a purpose. But like for them, I guess if you're kind of doing it in a pinch, like your purpose is to leave, not really to go yeah. somewhere else. But anyways, I thought that was kind of interesting. And then I don't have, for the rest of them, we're going to have like mentions of when they were used in the books. But for this, I don't just because it's used kind of so prevalently, prevalently, especially in Deathly Hallows. Before that, kind of the first mention of apparition that I can recall is in Goblet of Fire. I think I just read that Ron mentions it in Chamber. Oh, I think, yeah, he might like, because I feel like a couple of times throughout the years that, Hermione and Ron and Harry are like, how is this person doing this? And Ron's like, they're yeah. apparating. Hermione's like, bitch, how many times do I have to <laughs> tell you? You can't apparate in the Hogwarts grounds. But I think the first time we like see it is in Goblet of Fire with like Percy and them talking about they apparated to the Quidditch World Cup as opposed to taking the port key. And then in Order of the Phoenix, we see Fred and George doing it within Grimmauld Place. And then Half-Blood Prince is when we see the lessons and everything. And then Deathly Hallows is when we see it used all the time. Yeah. Things get a lot easier for them in Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Well, a lot harder in many ways, but travel (laughs) gets easier. Travel is expedited immensely. (laughs) All right. So the next big method of transportation that I'm going to talk about is port keys. So there's a pretty good um, wizardingrail.com writing on this. I mean, as good as anything on Wizarding World is. <laughs> I think it's actually Pottermore original, so mm. it's from Pottermore. Um, but it says, wizards who cannot operate, aka dematerialize and reappear at will, who wish to travel by daylight, meaning that broomsticks, thestrals, flying cars, and dragons are inappropriate, or whose destination has no fireplace, rendering flu powder useless, will have to resort to use of a port key. <laughs> this is, like, basically, like, if you can't do any of the other ones, you should use a port key. Yeah. Um, so the name port key comes from the French porter, which is to carry, and the word key in the sense of secret or trick. I don't know. That's weird. Um, but pretty much you can bewitch pretty much any object to become a port key. And anyone who then grasps the object will be transported to a prearranged destination that you like, I guess you determine the destination when you bewitch it. And then it says, quote, a port key may also be enchanted to transport the grasper or graspers only at a given time. So emphasis on this is may also so it doesn't have to be set for a certain time like the first time we see a port he used is to go to the quidditch world cup and i think it's like 509 or something like is their time that the port key is going to go but that is like not all port keys have to be set for a specific time it can just be like whenever someone touches it it goes this was definitely written after people were confused in Goblet of Fire, which I will get to later, but I'm going to finish talking about Porky's in general, and then we can talk about, um, as I've dubbed it, the Great Porky debacle of 1995. Yeah. That's what it is, so, so I think that's a pretty apt descriptor. <laughs> so for large public events, um, 
they often use a port key like uh, as a hidden inconspicuous object and you have to find it to get to the event um, it's kind of like their form of public transportation and so this is what we see for the quidditch world cup and the wizardingworld.com article talks about how this sometimes has caused muggles to accidentally find port keys um, so we hear about the story of when two muggle dog walkers um, were accidentally transported to a Celestina Warbeck, our queen. Ugh, I um, wish that was me. I wish I was one of those muggle dog walkers. <laughs> it was in 2003. Um, and... The muggles' dogs had run off with an old trainer, or if you're from America, a sneaker, um, on Clapham Common. And they, because they touched the trainer and um, got transported via port key, the people that were actually supposed to take that port key were very upset um, and were just randomly grabbing on to different... Mm-hmm like, random objects, like crisp packets and cigarette ends, um, to try to get to the concert, so they missed out. But, um, at the concert, one of the muggles was even invited on stage by Celestina to perform a duet of A Cauldron Full of Hot Strong Love, and they obviously, like, obliviated their memories after the concert, but, um... The That Muggle specifically went on to write a popular Muggle song that bears an uncanny resemblance to Celestina's worldwide hit. Mm-hmm. Parentheses. Miss Warbeck was not amused. Dang. <laughs> so. But anyway, that's a fun little anecdote. Uh, I love anything with Cel- Celestina Warbeck, so. I know, I know. I feel like she's in the books like three times, maybe. Yeah. And there's so much, like, so much of the extra information rec- like references her and it's just great she just become this cult is like not the right word but kind of like I was talking about in the last episode so like one of those things that like real Harry Potter fans are the only people who know who Celestina Warbeck is even more than the yeah. last what well, I don't even know what the context you were was. talking about on the patron episode for the other minister oh yeah I was talking about how that chapter is like kind of a hidden secret because it's never mentioned or referenced or anything in the movies but this one even more so like you have to be like a Pottermore reader slash podcast listener to know about Celestina Warbeck you know yeah she's such this like I guess or go to the Universal and see her perform because she does perform at Universal but still so anyway Porky's are honestly supposed to be a pretty terrible method of travel Harry always describes it as feeling like a tug behind his navel Um, It's said to lead to nausea, giddiness, or worse. And the elderly, pregnant, and infirm are not recommended to use them. Hmm. And then, a fun little quote from the article said, The suggestion of arranging port keys for the transportation of annoying relatives has saved many a wizarding family Christmas. (laughs) So, (laughs) I thought that was funny. Um, But we see port keys like a decent number of times throughout the series obviously I mentioned to and from the Quidditch World Cup um, they take an old boot from Stoats Head Hill in Ottery St. Catchpole to Dartmoor which is where the Quidditch World Cup is held and then in the reverse direction they take an old rubber tire as their port key then obviously we have the Triversler Cup which hang on just a little bit longer I'm gonna get to it <laughs> really teasing um, us here Audrey <laughs> 
<laughs> but this porky takes you from Hogwarts to the little Gr- Hangleton graveyard and back. And it was created by, I wrote Mad-Eye Moody, but not actually Mad-Eye Moody. Barty Harris Jr. And maybe Aldous Dumbledore. Mm. Hold on. Um, we also have a blackened kettle, which Dumbledore arranges for the Weasleys and Harry to take from his office to 12 Grimald Place um, when Arthur is attacked in Order of the Phoenix. And then a bunch of porkies are used in the Battle of the Seven Potters to get from the safe houses to the burrow. So Harry and Hagrid take a hairbrush from the Tonks residence. Um, Tonks and Ron were supposed to take a rusty oil can from Aunt Muriel's. Arthur and Fred were supposed to take an ancient trainer. Um, doesn't I don't think we know what their safe house was, but they missed that one because Fred got his ear. No, Fred didn't get his ear. No. George got his ear yeah. chopped off. I don't know why they missed theirs, though. They probably just got held up a little bit. Yeah, George and Lupin took an unknown porky. Um, and then Hermione and Kingsley took a bent coat hanger. And so I thought this was kind of weird because, like, these are all porkies that have been arranged. And, like, they're not, like, hidden in a weird place, yet they're still random objects. Mm. Yeah, I like, guess. Like, why, why does it have to be disguised as, like, a rusty oil can? Or is that just, like, what they have laying around and they were like, we're not going to use this, so we may Yeah, well. it does have to be something that, like the Tonkses or Muriel, whoever they were leaving from, is, like, okay losing, you know? So I guess, like, in essence, it's just kind of, like, unwanted garbage. Like, yeah, why not use kind of Yeah, like, just why not use what I don't care about as opposed to, I don't know. Like, why not use the bent coat hanger? Because if you use a real, uh, not bent coat hanger, then you're just out of, out of good coat hangers. Yeah, I feel like if I ever created a porky, it would be with, like, like pens or pencils like we just have so many of them in my house just like yeah but then what if you pick up what if you forget which pen or pencil you make the poor key and then you're just like picking them all up (laughs) just grab them all at once (laughs) Uh. Uh. (laughs) all right so you're ready for this explanation so ready. I think that what I found like really clears things up I feel so much better about this okay I'm excited I'm not going to take any credit for this. This is all, like, explanations people have put online. <laughs> so, so based on the definition of the of porkies, they don't have to be timed. Like I said earlier, they can just activate when a person touches them. So, presumably, when Barty Coach Jr. brought the cup to the maze, he set down the cup he bewitched. And he set down the cup, and then he bewitched it to take the next person to touch it to Little Hangleton. I don't really think there's a plot hole here. Like, as far as we knew in that book, they weren't timed. But, like, this is a pretty easy explanation. Um, We also know that, like, the one in Order of the Phoenix I don't think is really timed. It's just, like, Dumbledore's like, okay, here you go. Touch this. You're going. So getting to Little Hangleton, I think, makes perfect sense. Then with the return Porky, this is where, like, things get a little bit confusing. So I think that the safest assumption is that the cup had already been bewitched, probably by Dumbledore before Junior placed his spell on it, to return the winner to the beginning of the maze. This is what, like, most people say on the internet. They say, 
it's pretty obvious, like, it's a pretty obvious answer because, like, you, the winner wouldn't be able to operate out of the maze, right? Like, you're on Hogwarts grounds. Um, and it would be a good way for everyone to know that the task was over because, like the second task, the third task does not really allow you to watch anything happen. <laughs> so you're literally just sitting there for hours and then you're like, oh, man, like, I wonder if someone's gotten to the cup now. Like, yeah. they have to then find their way out of the maze. Like, what? Yeah. So... I think it is, like, a very logical conclusion to think that Dumbledore or, honestly, it was probably Dumbledore, but maybe, like, one of the organizers of the tournament bewitched the Triwizard Cup to take the winner to the beginning of the maze, to, like, the stands and everything so people could celebrate. So then a good explanation of the Portkey going to the graveyard first that I read was that, like, Junior wasn't able to remove the previous enchantment. Instead, he just, like, added one on top of it. And in this way, the spell's kind of layered, like an onion, they described. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> Junior's enchantment, Junior's port key to go to Link Little Hangleton was, like, the outermost layer because it was the last one applied. So the first time someone touched the cup, when Harry and Cedric grabbed it, it took it them to Little Hangleton, the graveyard. And then... Once that had happened, that layer was kind of shedded, and the next layer underneath was the original bewitchment to take the next person that touched the cup to the beginning of the graveyard. And so then when Harry touched it again, that one enacted, and it returned him to the start of the maze. So I think that to me is like, I guess it's not super simple, but that's like the clearest, simplest explanation. All of the motives in it make sense. Um, granted, it is kind of like trying to figure out how magic works, but so much of like magic in the books is not explained that I feel like it makes sense. Yes. Okay, I have two questions. One is a little bit more just about porkies in general. So if we know that they don't have to be timed, which we do know that, why were the port keys during the Battle of the Seven Potters timed? That seems yes unnecessary because they set yeah. up more than one anyway. So like if they missed one, they would just have to wait around for the second one. You know, like if you came in between. So like that yeah. just if like if that was a tool in her belt, why didn't she then use why not that? Use that. Yes, it seems very dumb. I think it's like maybe to add to the, like, stress of Mrs. Yeah, Weasley. I'm sure, because, like, we know when they should be getting back, and when they miss it, it's like, oh, shit, what happened? Like, I guess and I, I kind of get it, but it's still, like... Potentially the timed version is to, like, not have people showing up all at the same time. Yeah, like, that's why they use it in the Quidditch World Cup, and, like, that makes sense. Like, everybody yeah. has a set time. Like, you don't want everybody showing up an hour before the cup starts and people yeah. trying to, like you know, set up their tent and everything. That makes sense. But that one, like, it's it's a little bit more story-based than, like, reason-based. Yes. Which is yeah. fine. We'll concede some stuff. Like, a story still has to happen. Like, no big deal. Okay, <laughs> the thing that is more specific to this is how does Harry know to grab the cup? Like, I know some, I think somebody who comes out of the wand is like, yeah. get to the cup, Harry, get to the cup. But, yeah. like, why so okay so maybe this next possible theory in that it wasn't Dumbledore mm -hmm. that made the like the cup will return you yeah 
Another possible theory is that Voldemort Jr., etc., like the Death Eaters, wanted the cup to return to Hogwarts after it first brought the person to the graveyard. And, I mean, this could be for a couple of reasons, but first, before I go into the reasons of that, potentially, I'm just thinking of this on the fly, um, the people, like, coming out of Voldemort's wand, like, I feel like... They presumably, like, know... This doesn't make sense, though. Never mind. I was gonna say, like, maybe Voldemort's wand had bewitched the cup to go back. But yeah. But it wouldn't have been... Because he was never with the cup. It would have had to been Junior. Yeah. So that doesn't make sense. I don't know. Maybe the the things are just supposed to be kind of all-knowing. Yeah, I could see that. It just seems, like, convenient. This whole, like, poor key situation with the cup yes. just seems very convenient. And again, it's like, very, we'll concede, like, like I just said, a story has to take place. So, yeah. like, it's mostly fine. Yeah. And I will say, you can also maybe read it as, like, that was Harry's, like, only hope yeah. to escape that place. You know? So, like, he may as well have tried it. Yeah. So anyway, the reasons that potentially, like, Junior had also bewitched the Porky to go back to the start of the maze after going to Little Hangleton. Um, it could either be, like, A, the, the Death Eaters slash Voldemort wanted to, like, then themselves go to Hogwarts and then, like, they wouldn't be able to operate there. So, like, it'd be very convenient if they were, like, boom, kill kill Harry Potter, show up, surprise everyone, kill Dumbledore, like, create, like, chaos. Or, and or, they wanted to, like, send Harry's body back. Because the first reason, Voldemort, I think he ends up being secretive because it, like, works to his advantage. Like, I don't know if he planned for, like, no one to know he was back or no one to believe that he was back, but it ends up working to his advantage. So maybe we'll say that he planned it. Maybe he wanted time to, like, get everything in order and, like, find the Elder Wand and all that stuff. Yeah, well, the other thing with that is, like, the Death Eaters don't know that he's going to come back that night until, like, he calls them, right? So I also feel like them trying to invade Hogwarts would be, like, a very haphazard, like, not organized yeah. attack that, like, honestly probably wouldn't be the smartest. Like, I feel like that would end yes. badly for them. You know? Yeah, so I... Because, th- like, there's so many... Like, yeah, there's students, but there's also, like, Dumbledore is there. Like, McGonagall. yeah. Like, all a, a bunch of ministry people, like, all of these, like, good wizards are there. Um, but, so then that's why I think the, like, sending Harry's body back is maybe a more plausible thing. Mm-hmm. Where, like, Voldemort, if he had been able to kill Harry, he would definitely want everyone to know that Harry was dead. He wouldn't just want it to be like, oh, he's missing. Like, kind of the same thing with Voldemort being gone. Like, with him being missing, it was like... He could oh, be alive. he very much like could still be alive, and Voldemort would not want people to think that Harry was still alive because, like, that's like the loss of hope. You know, like that's why he brings Harry's body back mm-hmm. to Hogwarts um, after he like quote unquote kills him to show to the people at the Battle of Hogwarts like your hope is gone. Yeah, obviously it doesn't work, but I definitely can see him like wanting to return Harry's body. Um, it wouldn't. This is why I favor the, like, Dumbledore or somebody else bewitching theory because, like, it wouldn't really make sense for him to, like, already have that 
Porky bewitched, like, he could just easily, like, kill Harry, bewitch the Porky to send him back, you know? True. Yeah. So I think that the Dumbledore one makes more sense motive-wise. Yeah, like I would the, agree. The, and that has more to do with, like, the third task and, like, like what the cup actually served to do. Yeah, like, it makes sense that they would have the cup be able to bring them back to the start of the maze. Because, like, we were saying, like, what are they supposed to do if they touch the cup and nothing happens? Just, like, walk <laughs> back out of the maze, fight the Sphinx again, fight the, like, fight the Acromantula again? Like, that doesn't make sense and like nobody explains what they're supposed to do like they don't say like send up red sparks if you're injured and send up like blue sparks if you've won yeah yeah like that makes the most sense logically even with the fact that like like when I brought up like how does Harry know to grab it again I could buy the fact that like those figures are like omniscient kind of and like are watching over Harry you know. Although Harry does say when they first get there, he's Cedric, like, Cedric we shouldn't be here. We have to get back to the cup. Yeah. So also maybe it's a little bit like intuition too. And also maybe we just like, mm. for the like, the, like leaving suspense. the reader surprised, yeah. suspense, yeah. They just like didn't tell us about how they had told the champions like the couple take you back to the start of the maze yeah it also it makes sense if they would tell them what to do when they won and not just be yeah. like okay well i guess because yeah, what if you like don't here. pick up the cup yeah we was like well i'm here like, am i allowed to pick that up is someone gonna like present it to me yeah i guess that also does make sense that like it was supposed to they were told that like the first one to reach the cup grab it and it will bring you back to the front of the maze and like we'll have the whole ceremony and you know that does make more sense too yeah so I definitely buy that explanation I buy it yeah I think I mean granted like you pointed out a lot of this is convenience you know and it's not the way that we're initially told that Porky's work and everything but like this cleared up a lot for me in that, like, I actually understand that there's a way it could have worked. And it's not perfect because it's not explained. But so much is not explained and we, we come up with these answers to it, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I like that a lot. Thank you for that. I'll sleep better <laughs> at night Thank you to now. everyone on Reddit. <laughs> uh, sleep I'll sleep better at night now. Okay, so the next form of transportation I'm going to talk about is broomsticks. And somewhat flying carpets. Not a whole lot, just because there's not a whole lot of information. But they're essentially, they serve the same purpose. So a little (laughs) bit of history about broomsticks. So when wizards back in, like, the 80s were trying to figure out... The ADs, not the 80s. Because I totally thought you just said 80s, like the 1980s. I was like... "Mm." No, we're talking like the the 880s here. (laughs) Um... I don't know why they were like, oh, we have to figure out an object that we can enchant to fly so we can fly around on it. Like, in Quidditch Through the Ages, which is where I get most of this information, where I got most of this information from, it's like, at the dawn of time, since the dawn, (laughs) it's like, since the dawn of time, people have been trying to figure out how to fly, and like, witches and wizards are no different, Um, like, that kind of thing. Like, we're kind of alluding to the fact that, like, human beings have this kind of, like, innate sense to want to fly. They see the birds up in the air flying, and they're like, oh, I want to do that, I guess. I don't know if I believe that, but that's kind of what they talk about. 
And so when they decided that they, as a community, wanted to standardize flying, I guess, and choose an object that would be their flying object, um, broomsticks were chosen because it was an object that the Western, specifically, this is the Western wizarding community, as in, like, Britain, mostly, at this point, Mm -hmm. Western Europe. Um, They wanted to choose a broomstick because they were easy to hide in plain sight of muggles, because we know at this point... There weren't really all wizarding communities, like they lived in conjunction with muggles. So it was something that they could easily just like have in their house and be like, oh, it's a broom, obviously. Like it doesn't raise any suspicion for muggles. They're easy to transport, like they're not huge, like you could carry a broomstick around, I guess, like, (laughs) I guess, Um, and they're inexpensive. So that's kind of why broomsticks were chosen. Um, Wizarding communities in the East were already using flying carpets, and I guess... For whatever reason, they didn't want to use flying carpets, whether it was like, we want to be our own culture, or whether it was like, carpets aren't as easy to transport, maybe they're more expensive than brooms, which like is true, carpets are not cheap. Yeah, it's true. So, I don't know which of those it was, but they wanted something different than flying carpets. So, the earliest known instance that we have of wizards flying on broomsticks is as early as 962 AD. And I believe, I don't have this note written down, but I believe it was, like, in a German painting. There's, like, somebody flying on a broomstick. And then there was an account in 1107 by Guthrie Lochran where he mentions his, quote, splinter-filled buttocks and bulging piles. I don't know what bulging piles means, and I don't know if I want to know what that means. Um, Nope. Nope. Don't. (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) Okay. So then, by the time of the 12th century, wizards, this was kind of the point in history where people, including wizards and witches, started, like, becoming tradesmen, like... They started figuring out that they could, like, barter with people. I feel like you're telling me, like, a history lesson. I am. (laughs) Welcome to Katie's history class. Broom 6101. Um, So this was the point where, like, people started to realize that, like, oh, that guy over there, like, he's really good at making bowls. And I'm really good at baking bread. Like, I could trade my bread for his bowl. And, like, people started to become, like, more specialized at things. This is when trades started to pop up. Um, so brooms became one of those trades. So this is, at the, this is the point where, like, they started to become a little bit more comfortable. Not much, but a little bit, I guess. And by 1820, Elliot Smethwick invented the cushioning charm that massively helped brooms become more comfortable. Because before, I guess, you were just squatting on a wooden stick which I could understand not being super comfortable (laughs) now it's a cushioned wooden stick yeah I assume it's it feels more like a bike seat which like still is not very comfortable but probably like long distance yeah yeah like I get a bike seat working for like playing quidditch because it's like you're not really supposed to be comfortable when you're playing quidditch but yeah but if you're traveling I want to fly like yeah (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So this is where I get, it gets a little bit confusing because I wanted to do a section on like the evolution of the racing broom. And then I wanted to do a section on types of brooms, but there are one section because this is the information I got on brooms and on the evolution of racing brooms. So anyways, um, so, and again, this comes from Quidditch through the ages. It goes through the history of racing brooms by bringing up 
types of brooms. So the first one we have is the Oak Shaft 79, made by Elian Grimstone in 1879. So that's where it gets the 79 from. And it was the broom that was used in the first Atlantic crossing by Yokonda Sykes. So... Wow, this has a lot of good... I know you haven't done your Katie's Trivia Corner yet, but that's another good Katie's Trivia Corner. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and I get very, like, um, Amelia Earhart vibes from Miss Yokonda. you know? Like, I wonder... It always reminds... Huh? It always reminds me of Wanda Sykes. Uh, well, comedian. that as well. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this is kind of one of the first brooms that was used obviously of a like over a distance that long the next type of broom we have is the moon trimmer and this was created by gladys boothby in 1901 and this could achieve heights that brooms previously had not been able to reach so this is when they started to be like okay like let's make these brooms go higher go faster that kind of thing just make them more better i know that wasn't really correct english but here we are <laughs> Um, the next one is the Silver Arrow by Leonard Jukes, and this was this came not too long after. It didn't have a specific date, but it came not too long after to fill demand because at this point we were still kind of in this like tradesman spot where like Leonard G- or Gladys Boothby, who created the Moon Trimmer, she was like a one woman operation. Like she made all of the brooms, so, like she couldn't really keep up with demand. And so this is when Mr. Leonard Jukes swooped in and started making his own brooms to try and capitalize on that demand. And his was Get faster. It. Capitalism. Yeah, this is the birth of capitalism, people. Capitalize capitalism. Uh, yeah. So the moon tremor could go higher, but the silver arrow could go faster. And then in 1926, so again, not really that long after, is when the Clean Sweep One came out. And this was created by the brothers Bill, Bob, and Barnaby Allerton. Um, And this was the first broom that was specifically made for sporting use, for Quidditch or other broom sports. Because there are more than, there is more than one sport that you play on a broom. Peeper Quidditch episode. Yeah. Um... And then the Comet series came around by Randolph Kitch and Basil Horton. And this was the first competitor um, in the racing broom slash sporting broom market. And I assume that came not too long after. There wasn't a date on this one. And then the next one, the next date is 1940. So the Comet came out between 1926 and 1940. So not that long after. In 1940, Ellerby and Spudbore came up with the Tinder Blast. And then, again, with another broom, the Swift Stick, in 1952. And, again, these are kind of just, like, racing brooms. And just more started popping up because the demand started going up. Then um, the Shooting Star was created by Universal Brooms in 1955. And then we have the Nimbus Series by the Nimbus Racing Broom Company in 1967. And this was a real breakthrough because this this broom, let me tell you, it blew all the other brooms out of the water. It was better, it was faster than any other broom before. And so it kind of like monopolized the racing broom market for the most part. And then to like combat this, the Twigger 90 was made by Flight Twigger. and Bark. Yeah, Flight and Barker. And hold on, let me find it, the description here, because it's kind of funny. 
Okay, it says, the Twigger 90, first produced in 1990, was intended by its manufacturers, Flight Embarker, to replace the Nimbus as market leader. However, though highly finished and including a number of new gimmicks, such as an inbuilt warning whistle and self-straightening brush, the Twigger had been found to warp under high speeds and has gained the unlucky reputation as being flown by wizards with more galleons than sense. So, this one... So, like, Gildor Lockhart's broom. Yeah, basically. This was supposed to be, like, the competitor to the Nimbus, but they focused a little bit too much on, like, the bells and the whistles, and it was, like, a fail at actually flying. So, it Hmm. failed miserably. And then, the last one I have is the Firebolt, who was... And this was created by Randolph Spudmore in 1993. And if you recognize the name Spudmore, it's because he also came up with a Tinder Blast with his partner, Ellerby. Um, oh, and, and there's another Randolph. Yeah, I, I assume it's the same person. We don't have a first name for the first mention of Spudmore, um, but I kind of assume it's the same person. It was 53 li- years later, though. Could be like his dad. Yeah, yeah, it could be like the son of the original Spudmore. But the reason why I'm not 100% sure is because the fireball is not included in Quidditch of the Ages, because I don't believe... Goblet of Fire had come out when Quidditch of the Ages was first published. Like, it's pretty old. You mean Prisoner, though? Oh, oh, you're right. Sorry. Well, it was copyrighted it was copyrighted at 2001, in 2001. So, anyways, it was before. Or maybe right around Prisoner? Came out in 1999. Okay, so it was before, but I guess it just wasn't added. But is like the book supposed to be like from before, you know? True. They might have like um I I think they do mention Quidditch through the ages before Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. Um so anyways, um it was before at the time of like in-world publishing, it was before the fireball had yeah. come out. So it doesn't like specifically mention that it's the same Spudmore because it's not included in the Quidditch of the Ages. And on the Wikipedia page, it doesn't say either. Yeah. So maybe it's just an assumption of mine. I guess the idea that it's the sun maybe makes more sense. I mean, I think there's definitely the relation, whether or not it's the same person, because like Tinder, Blast, and Firebolt are kind of similar yeah. like, names. You True. know, like... T- Tinder and fire and blast and bolt. So like, yeah, for sure. I feel like I can see it being like, I can see it being either the same person or like the next generation. Yeah, um, and that was kind of the height of the racing broom at the time that we finished the series. And I know, like, so I mentioned like the comet, the clean sweep, the shooting star, and I'm pretty sure all of those are a series of brooms. Like we see, like the clean sweep seven. Mm. Um, that kind of stuff, or the Comet 260. So, yeah. those most of them are kind of like series of brooms, and like the company just keeps on kind of like updating the original model, kind of like cars, you know, like the Nimbus too. Yeah, and the Nimbus has is a series as well. Um, for as far as we know, the Firebolt was only just the one. I'm pretty sure, but maybe. I think in the like. You know the, like, Quidditch World Cup 2014 mm. writings? I think they talk about, like, Firebolt, like, something. Like, it's, mm. like, an updated Firebolt. I could definitely see that. Which makes sense, because it was, like, 30 years later, 20 years later. Yeah, I assume the broom that was at the height then would not have been the broom that was at the height then. Later. 
Yeah. Um, so that's just kind of a quick history of the racing brooms. And so then just kind of brooms in general as transportation. I know that most of the time we see brooms, they're not really used for transportation. They're using Quidditch. Um, and I did not want to talk about Quidditch at all because we've already had a Quidditch episode. So check that out if you want more information on that. Um, but they can be used to reach different destinations. But it does, it's not preferred because it takes a lot longer than any other form of transportation. And it's not super comfortable. It's not ideal for transporting things. Like if you're going a longer distance, normally you would have to bring stuff with you. So it's just like not super great for transportation, but it was used as transportation back in the day before they had anything else. That was kind of its main purpose. Um, but sometimes we do see it used for transportation. So the order uses brooms to get Harry to Grimmauld Place in Order of the Phoenix, um, so that they can't be traced because they're ready for a fight, basically. And then again, they use brooms during the Battle of the Seven Potters. Some pairs do. I think, like, Ron and Tonks are on brooms. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think who else. I think maybe, maybe like, the Arthur twins. And- Fred, yeah. And, and Lupin, George. Because, like, Harry's on the motorbike, Fleur and Hermione are on Thestrals. Yeah, with, like, Fleur and Bill and Hermione and Kingsley. Yeah. Because they don't like brooms. Yeah. And then, I, it's, are the rest on brooms? Is it just two Thestrals? Well, Mad Eye's definitely on a broom. Mad Eye's on a broom? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that then might probably. be really all of them. Yeah, that's all of them because then that's four yeah. on brooms. Yeah, so we do see them use the transportation, but it's normally as kind of like a last resort kind of thing. Like, we can't be tracked by the ministry, so we have to use brooms. It's kind of like an undercover way. Don't Harry and Dumbledore use brooms to go to Hogsmeade? Yeah, they use brooms to get down to to Hogsmeade and then apparate, and then they they use brooms to get back, I'm pretty sure. because they show up on the astronomy tower, yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think that's mostly it. Like, there's that one scene where Harry uses it to, like, over, like, overhear Snape talking in Sorcerer's oh, Stone, yeah. like, in the Forbidden Forest. But, like, it's that's not really scene. transportation. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And then just a little bit about flying carpets, because, like I said, there's not really a whole lot of information. So, flying carpets were u- were mentioned as being used before Britain started using broomsticks. And they aren't used in Britain, but they are used in other countries such as India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Iran, and Mongolia. Um, so, like, again, like I mentioned, mainly, like, Eastern mm-hmm. countries. Um, and then, so in Britain, they're actually classified as a muggle artifact, um, according to the registry of prescribed charmable objects. Thus, it's illegal to actually enchant and use and own a magic carpet, which is like really interesting to me because it's the same thing as an enchanted broomstick, but I Mm -hmm. guess it's just kind of like. They don't want too many things being able to, like, enchant for transportation. Um, So, yeah, it's actually illegal. There's a a mention in Goblet of Fire, I believe, where um, Arthur is, like, Ali Bashir is trying to, like, smuggle flying carpets. And, like, he thinks that there's Mm -hmm. a niche market in, like, family travel. Um, There are, I haven't mentioned this before, but there are brooms that, like, are four-seat brooms that, like, a family could travel on together. It's like a station wagon. Yeah. Um, But Ali Bashir obviously thought that he could 
I mean, to be honest, a carpet would be more comfortable than flying on a broomstick, especially with, like, a group of four people. And, like, children. Yeah. <laughs> Strap them down. Um, but, yeah. So, that's all I got on flying carpets. Yeah. Cool. Oh, and just super quickly, kind of out of universe, like, these are both, obviously, depictions and... I don't know. It's just, like... It's it's a cliche, like a witch riding a broomstick. Yeah. Like it's a thing. And then like in more eastern countries, like flying carpets are a thing, hence see Aladdin. Aladdin. Yeah. So it's just it was a way for her to kind of integrate real world history, quote unquote, into like the wizarding world. And she does this a couple times where she kind of like backtracks and like explains why brooms are like the witch and wizard thing, you mm-hmm. know? So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So on to like the last major method we're going to talk about. So that is the flu network. And basically every magical home is connected to the flu network through their fireplace. I guess it takes like a little bit of um, paperwork to get connected. So you get connected through the permission of the ministry um, although there, you can get like temporary temporary permission to connect a fireplace for emergencies and special circumstances, as we see with um, Arthur um, putting the Dursleys fireplace on the flu network, and then you can also like disconnect with a simple spell, um, is what I think it was Wizarding World said. And I wonder if you can do this, like, it's, like, a temporary thing. It's, like, locking your home at night where you just, like, do a spell and then no one can come in through the flu network. Um, And then, like, you can, like, reconnect it. But it's the first initial connection that takes, like, getting registered. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I like that. I think that'd be fun. uh, Well, fun is not the right word. But it makes sense. But I feel like it... And I feel like it gets around the fact that, like, a lot of these methods of transportation, like, kind of mess with your home security yeah like, like you could, could operate. Just, like, operate into your home and like take the flu network into your home in the middle of the night and yeah. all these things yeah for so, sure especially since like wizards can't really lock their house because you could just like aloha more you know yeah. oh sorry i just said yeah for sure and so i like i met up with my aunt to get brunch outside at one point and she like lives around here and she was like Katie I was listening to an episode the other day and there's one thing that you say so often that I'm like we should make that a drinking game but she couldn't remember what it was so she like texted me a day later and was like yeah the drinking game is drink every time Katie says yeah for sure and I think that (laughs) next time she listens she's gonna try and find something that Audrey says a lot so Oh, no. Stay tuned for a Wizard Studies drinking game, possibly. I feel like I also say yeah a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm nervous about this. <laughs> Is she going to post it in the, the Facebook group? Well, I, that's what my mom said. She was like, why don't you post in the Facebook group? And she goes, I didn't want to embarrass Katie. She was like, I have to find something for Audrey before. So it doesn't sound like I'm just picking on Katie. Okay. <laughs> I won't be embarrassed. I promise. It'll be funny. Yeah. So anyway, mine's probably anyway. (laughs) Um, The etymology of flu network, flu, F-L-O-O, comes from flu, F-L-U-E, which is like the chimney thing. You know, it's like not a chimney, but it's like the little pipe thing out of the roof. Yeah. And 
there are a thousand fireplaces around Britain in addition to homes that are connected to the flute network. So like everybody's home or most people's homes and then like an additional a thousand fireplaces or so, um, which includes like the ministry fireplaces, various shops. Um, Hogwarts we know is like generally not on the flu network, but it's said that like students have tampered with the fireplaces to get them connected without the knowledge of staff. And I think that this is like, maybe with the exception of like talking through the flu network, like mm -hmm. head only flu network, I think is probably like known that it's on there. Cause like Harry uses it through the Gryffindor common room, or maybe it's not known that it's on there. And like Sirius was the one that made it on there. Oh when he yeah. Was when student, he, was so he was like, I know I can do that. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> and of course mistakes happen with the flu network um this is maybe one of the downsides as we know diagonally <laughs> you have to speak clearly when you announce your destination otherwise you'll end up in a very random spot um like maybe nocturne alley <laughs> but <laughs> there was a fun like another fun story kind of like the celestina warbeck one of the most famous inst instance of someone going to the wrong place. And this was with Violet Tillman, Tillyman in 1855. And so the story goes that Violet had a particularly nasty row with her husband. And she leapt into the living room fire and cried between sobs and hiccups that she wanted to go to her mother's house. And so presumably she went to her mother's house, right? And several weeks later, her husband, Albert, um, there were no clean pots in his house and his socks were in need of urgent washing oh, because God. apparently he doesn't know how to even cast a simple cleaning spell. Um, he decided that it was time that she came home. And so he went to his mother-in-law's and his mother-in-law said that Violet never arrived at his house, at her house. And he was like... He kind of went crazy. Sounds like he wasn't a great man. He, like, searched the house. And then they, like, put out... They couldn't find Violet. So they, like, put out, like, poster campaign. There were articles in the Daily Prophet. No one could find Violet. Eventually, Albert um, learned to clean and, and cook and whatever. And he never used the flu, flu network again for fear of what, had, what it had done to his wife. Violet was nowhere to be found. Twenty years later, after Albert died, Violet Tillyman resurfaced. <laughs> Due to the incoherent way she had spoken when she had entered the flu network and said she wanted to go to her mother's house, she actually went to the house of M Myron Author House. Like, my mother's, my mother's house? I don't know. <laughs> I guess, Myron Author House. And he was a handsome wizard who oh, lived in man. Bury St. Edmunds. In spite of Violet's tear-stained, ash-covered, and blotchy appearance, it had been love at first sight when she toppled out of his fire, and Myron, Violet, and their seven children lived happily ever after. <laughs> we love that story. So, like, good for Violet, honestly. <laughs> Albert kind of sounds like the worst. He does. Myron sounds great. Yeah. Good for her. So anyway, uh, the author invented the flu network because she said that the international statute of secrecy was kind of inconvenient when thinking about travel for people that couldn't operate and small kids. Um, you would have to like travel by night 
to travel by broomstick or have some sort of like way to hide that you were flying on a broomstick. So they, uh, so she came up with Blue Network because you never get seen by muggles. Um, and then the advantages, that's one of the advantages. Also, it's not dangerous unless you end up in the wrong place. Um, children, the elderly, and the infirm can t use it. And then we know that the flu network is regulated by the flu network authority, which is within the Department of Magical Transportation, level six, mm. at the ministry. And we also know about head-only transport, which is not really a method of transportation, more so a method of communication. We see Arthur and Amos Diggory do this, and then Sirius and Harry do this in Goblet of Fire. And then also Harry speaks to Creature this way in Order, Order of, of the Phoenix. Phoenix. So, yeah. The flu network uses in the series, we have Diane Alley in 1992, the Weasleys getting Harry from the Dursleys in 1994, we see Fudge and Scrimjar use it to get to 10 Downing Street, apparently like a lot of Hogwarts students use it to get back after Christmas break in Half-Blood Prince, including Harry, Hermione, and the Weasleys, and then when the ministry was overthrown, I guess, only homes and offices of senior ministry officials were connected, so presumably like only Death Eaters. Yeah. Also, this form of transportation is not known to be super comfortable either. Doesn't it feel like yes. you're kind of, like, spinning a lot? Yeah, and you have to, like, keep your arms close to you. Yeah, or else you like, This also kind of feels other. like the tube thing. Yeah, very much And so. you can, like, see the exits going by, and apparently you're just supposed to, like, know when it's your exit. Yeah. I, it doesn't, I also, like, don't blame Harry. I mean, they tell him to speak clearly, and, like, he definitely didn't. But I don't blame him for, like, messing up the first time. Yeah. Because they're just like, yeah, just go in and say the name and, like, keep your arms closed. Yeah. I wonder if one of them could have done it with him or whether it can only be, like, one person at a time. Well, I guess... Mm. Trying to think, because... Maybe it's only one person at a time. Well, in the movie, Deathly Hallows, I don't remember what happened in the book. They kind of, like, all go through the fire at the same time. When? When they're escaping the ministry, they're, like, running to, as the oh, fireplaces are yeah, closing, yeah. you know? Yeah. Again, I don't know what happens in the book. I don't remember exactly, but... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, because it's also, like, depending on how old the child is, like, a two-year-old probably couldn't do this by themselves. They can't speak clearly anyways. Well, you could just carry the kid. True. You know, like, you can hold things, like, I think either Fred or George, like, takes Harry's trunk yeah. from the Dursleys. Harry could have just piggybacked on with somebody gone together yeah <laughs> ron could have held harry in his arms <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, mm. anyways so we're gonna go on to just some like not like smaller forms but some stuff that like we're just gonna quickly hit some points so the first one i'm gonna talk about is the night bus and so this is a bus that witches and wizards use to travel anywhere except underwater destinations they don't do that crap when the night bus first started um Many witches and wizards were, like, put off by the idea of a night bus because, similar to the Hogwarts Express, it was, like, too muggly for them. They were like, I would not deign to get on a bus. <laughs> um, so, yeah, very similar to the Hogwarts Express story. Um, and to call the night bus, you just have to stick out your wand arm, which I feel like is too easy to do 
anyways. Just, like, to Keep not... Harry accidentally calls it. Yeah. Like, again, it's kind of convenient. Like, I feel like you should have to, like, stick at your wand arm and say, like, night bus or something, you know? Like, I feel like there should be more... Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. What if you just accidentally stick out your wand arm? Yeah. Like, maybe... What if you're genuinely hailing a taxi, hailing a cab? Yeah. You just happen to use your wand. I guess maybe one way is, like, maybe theoretically you have to be, like, on a road for it to work. Like, if I just stuck out my wand arm in my house, I probably wouldn't do it. So I guess that, like, kind of cuts back on it, but, like, not fully. So when Harry took the night bus, the bus cost seven sickles, regardless of how far you're going. So just a ride is seven sickles. Wait, you wrote 11. Oh, wow. Sorry. (laughs) It's 11. I don't know why I just said seven. It's because this is a Harry Potter podcast and normally it has a seven in it. Um, I feel like my drinking game thing should be correcting you for reading things because <laughs> you always write it correctly and, and then you just, just read, read something entirely different <laughs> i don't know why i just said seven it's clearly 11 in my notes anyways um, the bus costs 11 sickles regardless of the distance 13 if you want a hot chocolate but 15 if you want a hot water bottle and toothbrush presumably like with hot chocolate like, yeah, 15 is, like, like all of the other yeah. things, but with hot water bottle and a toothbrush in addition. Um, and we you, we see the night bus being used in Prison Rats Gavan when Harry uses it to escape from a drive and go to the Leaky Cauldron. That's in London. Um, I don't believe we ever see it again. Okay, you know how I, re- I said in my section that, like, they take the flu network back oh. from Christmas and Half-Blood Prince? Don't they take the night bus back, back. from Christmas in... Order of the Phoenix. I feel like there's definitely an instance where they do it again. There's a time when they do it. Yeah. Like, it, they take it, like, and Stan is like, oh, Harry, like... Maybe they take it, like, to to school? They take it, like, to Hogsmeade. Yeah. Oh, in 1996. So in Half-Blood. No, no, no. No, no, no. 1996, because it's, like, after New Year, I think. So it's... Oh, sorry. I was thinking December, because Christmas. But yeah, you're right. Wait. It would be January, I think. Wait, what? Oh, yeah, and Hermione takes, yeah, so in order, Hermione takes the night bus, because she doesn't leave Hogwarts with the rest of them. Oh, yeah, She yeah. takes the night bus to Grimald Place, and then, like, after the holiday, they take the night bus back to Hogwarts, and they, like, Lupin and Tonks go with them. Okay, yeah. Now that you right. mentioned that, I remember that. From the borough in Half-Blood Prince, they take the flu now. Yeah, yeah. So we see it, I guess, we see it directly twice, but we hear of it being used at least three times with Hermione taking it both ways that yeah. Christmas. And yeah. for Katie's trivia corner of the day of the episode, I have, so Madame Marsh was a woman that was on the night bus when Harry got on in Prisoner of Azkaban, and we hear that Madame Marsh was headed to Abergavenny. Um So this is, like, weirdly a question that I feel like is kind of common in trivia. And, like, obviously you would not know that unless, like, you study Harry Potter trivia and have taken a bunch of quizzes because, like, it's mentioned once. I'd be surprised if people even, like, realize that Madame Marsh was, like, the woman that was on the night bus with Harry. You know? Very obscure. Yeah. So fun fact about that. Um... And then, so the next one I have is the Hogwarts Express. I'm not going to talk very much about this because we talked extensively about this in our 
Hogwarts episode um, about the whole history of the Hogwarts Express. So just like briefly, the Hogwarts Express leaves from King Cro- King's Cross every September 1st at 11 a.m. to take all the students to Hogwarts. And then this is at Platform 9 and 3 quarters. There are other fractioned platforms um, that can take you other places. I think in the article that talks about trains in the Hogwarts Express, like sometimes they're used to take people to Celestina Warbeck concerts, another mention <laughs> of our queen. And also there's like a, a writing by the author where she's like, I imagine there being like an Orient Express for the wizarding community that's at like another fractioned platform. So they're not just used for Hogwarts. This episode is really just all the different ways you can travel to a Celestina Warbeck concert. Honestly, it, that is what it is. Um, but just super quickly, I know I mentioned this in the night bus, but when it was first created for witches and wizards, they were like, nah, that's too muggly for me. I can't be seen on something that muggles would also be on. So, But it is required. Students yeah, cannot get to Hogwarts any other way than the Hogwarts Express. Because before the Hogwarts Express, pretty much they tried... It was just chaos. ...every way that we've, like, talked about. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. So then, speaking of traveling to Hogwarts, the next two, pretty quick, I don't have a lot of information on them. We have the Durmstrang ship and the Bobotons flying carriage. So the Durmstrang ship, um, obviously, is used by the Durmstrang students to get to Hogwarts and presumably do other travel, but, like, I don't really know what they do. Because, like, it sounds like... When Crom is like, we're the ones that steer the ship, it sounds like they've done it, like, multiple times, not just this year. Yeah. Um, so they, like, travel underwater and somehow, like, kind of magically go from one major body of water to another. I don't really... I guess, like, maybe, like, maybe they use, like, underground water systems because, like, in my head it was always kind of like they just, like, go underwater and then, like, the whole ship just, like, apparates. But, like, Crom talks about steering, so it's definitely, yeah. like... Like I, a journey. I wonder if it's like the ship that's bewitched, or if like bodies of water are bewitched. Like I wonder which yeah. way it is. You know. Yeah, maybe a combination of both. I yeah. Know. Well, I mean, obviously the ship would have to be be bewitched somewhat to like go underwater. Um, uh, but uh, I wonder if it's the ship that like magically goes from one body of water to the other, or if like these bodies of water are just like connected, connected. and you can use kind of like, like any ground water. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I mean like, like it's just rivers are a thing that connect yeah. bodies of water. I know. So then we have the Bobotons flying carriage, which is this light blue carriage. It's pulled by a dozen of Braxons that only drink the finest single malt single whiskey. Malt whiskey. <laughs> and the carriage itself is the size of a large house. I so feel it like also serves as their like dorm. I wonder. This is just me, but I feel like I've always pictured the carriage just being like this one big like open room and people just like sleeping on the floor and sleeping bags. <laughs> but I feel like that is not the case. No way. I feel like there's definitely separate rooms. Fleur would not deign <laughs> to do that. I always just pictured, like, like a carriage. You know how there's just, like, seats on each side, like, looking yeah. at each other? I just pictured, like, a really big one of those. And, like, the kids would just, like, <laughs> kind of have this, you know like, how, a walk-in. Like, you know how Harry was supposed to go in all of the common rooms? Mm, yeah. Like, throughout the series? And he didn't. But, like, I feel like 
it, like in a similar vein, I would really like to have seen yeah. like, the inside of the carriage and the ship. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool. Because I also wonder, even though it's the size of a, a large house is like freaking huge. Like, I mean, and I guess also, it depends it, on how Do you think it large. would be bigger on the inside? Yeah, well, that's that what, what I was going to say. Like, yeah. at first I was like, oh, it definitely has to be bigger on the inside. But if it's already the size of a large house. And there's house, only like 12 students. Yeah. I don't know. And they don't need, like, a kitchen or anything. Like, they just need, like, 12 bedrooms. Yeah. Like, 13, maybe. And, like, bathrooms. Yeah. Well. I don't know. They could just scourge a True. Ew, gross. <laughs> don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the next two modes of transportation I have are the Green's got Green Gods cards. The Green Gods cards. And these are the cards that are used to travel around Green Gods to get to different vaults. We see them in Sorcerer's Stone and Deathly Hollows. And Hagrid mentions that it makes them like really makes him really sick. Like Harry asks him, like, are those stalactites or just stalagmites? I can never tell yeah. the difference. And Hagrid's like, shut up. If I open my mouth, I'm gonna be sick. <laughs> um and just a side note. Whenever I found out that there was going to be a Gringotts ride at Universal, I was like, oh, bet. This is going to be so fun. <laughs> like, I feel like it was an idea that people have been, like, asking for for a while. Like, it's a build. Like, it is a roller coaster that is, like, you can just take directly from the movie and the book, right? I was very – and I feel like I talked about this after I went to Universal most recently. And I was just, like, disappointed because that's not what it is. I feel like they really missed out on an opportunity there. But that's just me. <laughs> um, the next one I have is the Vanishing Cabinet. So I have in here that as far as we know, there's only one set. But in the wiki, it talks about how it had been used in the first Wizarding War between Order members. Yeah. Um, and I they couldn't find the, the source on that. Oh, okay. They say, they say the they were, like, popular because you could just... They're very popular in the first Wizarding World War because you could just kind of like if Death Eaters came, you could just hide. Okay, so I there was like a a sentence that said that, and then like I clicked on the link for that article, and it still didn't like give me any sources, so I wasn't sure. But Mm. now that you say that, I feel like I vaguely remember that being mentioned. Um, But overall, a vanishing cabinet. There's like a pair. They are always in pairs, and you can get into one and travel to the other one. So it's like a very set. I get in this vanishing cabinet and I end up in this one. And again, from what we know, it's only pairs. But if there's like more than just this one set, I wonder if you could have like a group of five that you could like kind of all have connected, kind of like the flu network. Mm. Or if that like takes away from like there's a pair, it's a set, you know? I feel like it has to be a set, like you buy the two. Yeah. And then you put one in one place and one in the other. Um,. I, I could see that. That makes sense. Um, the Vanishing Cabinet is one of those things that I think is so brilliantly written because it's mentioned so many times before it becomes really important. It's mentioned in Chamber of Secrets, speaking of the flu network, because this is where Harry hides when he accidentally ends up in Borgen and Burks. Like he mentions that he gets into this large cabinet. Then it's also mentioned again in Chamber of Secrets because Harry gets caught by Filch, like, tracking mud into the Great Hall. Yeah. And so he's in Filch's office, and, well, was it because... Nearly had this... I think He was talking to Nick. Okay, when it happened. And so Nick feels, like, I guess kind of guilty about it, and he's like, I'll help you, Harry. So he gets Peeves to, like, smash the vanishing cabinet, which distracts Filch, and he leaves. And this is when Harry finds out that he's a squib. Like, sees his, like, spell... What was it called? 
Quick spell. Quick spell. I wanted to say spell tape, but like that was obviously not what it was. Um, and then it's mentioned again in order because Fred and George shove Montague into this cabinet and he like disappears for a hot sec. He's eventually found again, but he's like talking kind of crazy. But <laughs> this is where Draco gets the idea to use it for the most famous reason. And this is because he uses it to get... And this is Drapple. Yes, this is the this is the inception of the Drapple ship. Um, he spends it's like the second Drapple. Yeah, but this was like the first time I don't I don't think Drapple was a thing before this happened. You know, like yeah. this was the this was the moment <laughs> for Drapple. Um, so Draco had heard that like Montague was like I could see like sometimes I could hear what was going on in Borgen and Burks. Um, so he was like, oh, maybe they're connected. And so at the beginning of Half-Blood Prince, we see him in Borgen and Burke, like, talking to Borgen about, like, buying something. But, like, he doesn't want to walk out of the store carrying that. He would look ridiculous. Um, so he uses it to get Death Eaters in because the other one is at Hogwarts. Obviously, if you haven't caught on, there's one at Borgen and Burke. There's one at Hogwarts. So he uses he fixes the one at Hogwarts and uses it to try to get Death Eaters into the castle. Thus occurs the Battle of the Astronomy Tower. So that is the Vanishing Cabinet. It's very, like, for something that has so much foreshadowing, it, like, like, it's important, but, like, at the end of the day, it's kind of, like, not that important. I guess it gets... Well, because it doesn't even get the person who kills Dumbledore into the castle. Like, yeah. Snape and Draco are already in there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. So then, the last two, we have flying cars, specifically the flying Ford Anglia, which was enchanted by Arthur Weasley to fly and turn invisible. The invisibility booster must be faulty. <laughs> <laughs> he also happened to modify it to fit eight people, six trunks, two owls, and a rat comfortably. And Harry comments. Because M- Molly's like, wow, I'm surprised at how spacious this is. Yeah. And Harry like thinks like, yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> this is not a normal muggle car. <laughs> and then um, it's also highly illegal. <laughs> then we have magical creatures just in general. We see, like, Thestrals and Hippogriffs being used as methods of transportation. Um, Sirius, of course, uses Buckbeak to flee following Prisoner of Azkaban and then return in Goblet of Fire. And then we also see the Golden and Silver Trio ride Thestrals to the Ministry at the end of Order of the Phoenix many, many, many miles. So, like, those Thestrals fly really fast, and they also... Harry says something about, like, never having, like, moved that fast before. So, like, presumably much faster than brooms. Yeah, and I, it's also mentioned that they have, like, a great sense of direction. They're kind of like owls. They're just, yeah. like, take me to the ministry, and they're, like, on it. They're so cool. They really um, are. They also, as we mentioned earlier, um, a couple of the pairs ride Thestrals in the Battle of the Seven Potters. Also, I'll add Dragon onto this list, because oh, the yes, trio uses... A dragon to escape Gringotts. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I feel like this went on for a while, and we've already kind of talked about a lot of the pros and cons. Yeah. But I can just run through this article. Yeah. So, as I was doing research, I found this Bustle article that claimed to have definitively ranked the methods of transportation in Harry Potter. So, should I go worst to best? Yeah, I think you should. Okay, so, 
worst, number 14, is Time Turner, which they claim is a method of transportation because it gets you from point A to point B. But it carries a lot of risk, and it's closely regulated. So not a great method of transportation, especially because it only lets you travel through time and not to a different place. Well, yeah, because do you even travel to... You don't travel to a different place. You still end up in the same spot, just at a different time. In in right? Cursed Child, I think they travel yeah, to a different say, place. I feel like but in like, Cursed Child, they do. You don't, because I think when they use it in Prisoner... They just, like, like they're still the in the hospital wing. wing. Yeah. yeah, and then they have to run downstairs, yeah. So then we have Thestrals are ranked as number 13, hmm. um, because people can't see them. Okay, so I buy that. it would be kind of scary, but if you could see them, I feel like they're, like, maybe number one. <laughs> <laughs> the Vanishing Cabinet is 12, because um, they aren't easy to come by, so it's not very convenient. Hippogriffs are number 11. Um, they don't sound at all comfortable to ride. Harry does mention about, like, feeling like he's going to slip off the whole time. And they're not super fast, too. Like, they're definitely they're slower than Thestrals. And they're, like, very conspicuous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you have flying carpets at number 10. Um, they're illegal, but are remembered as a great mode of transportation for the whole family. The night bus is number 9. Not ideal for those who get carsick, but a good option for if you urgently need a ride. I feel like they're also good, like the night, sorry, I keep on chiming in. The night bus is also no, good right. for like groups of people. I feel, feel like yeah. it's like one of the best if you're not going to apparate for like groups of people to travel, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's not the fastest, yeah. but like, I don't know. Yeah. You do have to pay for it though. True. Number eight is Magical Ship, a.k.a. Durmstrang Ship. Yeah, they don't really say much about that. Number seven is the Flying Horse-Drawn, a.k.a. a Braxen-Drawn carriage. Hmm. Um, it's big enough for them to all stay in it, which I guess is the same with the ship, so that's kind of nice. Enchanted Vehicles, like the Ford Anglia, are number six. Oh, and also including Sirius Black's Motorcycle, which we didn't mm-hmm. talk about, but that's that's another Enchanted Vehicle. Um, and they can have good features, but again, they are highly illegal. <laughs> um, we also have train <laughs> number five, which is easy and comfortable, um, but it's very muggle-like. But I guess the plus is the food, and you don't really have to do anything. Like you just get on and ride. Yeah. And it's a lot better seasick or car sickness-wise than the night bus. The flu network is ranked at number four. Um, because they're great for getting around as long as you don't mind a lot of spinning and there's also the risk of going to the wrong place. Broomsticks are number three, but they're best for short distances in clear weather um, and also at night. I feel like this is ranked as high as it, as it is because just like the factor that you feel like you're flying, you know, like the coolness yeah. factor of broomsticks is why they're so high, which I think is inherently a c- incorrect way like an incorrect yes. point yeah. to make in the article that you're trying to write. Because it's not yeah. best for transportation. Like, it should not be that high. Yes, I agree. Sorry. And it's like, it ignores the fact that also, like, you probably have to do that by night. Yeah. Port keys are number two. They require less skill than apparition. Um, you can bewitch any object to do them. They're not super fun, but they serve a purpose. 
And then apparition is number one. Um, it's fastest and most convenient, but I think that they underestimate the danger of splicing when they rank this number one. Well, it's also called splinching bustle. Excuse me. Oh, yeah. I read that at spl- as splicing, and I was like, hmm. yes, it's splinching. So that, t- that shows you how uh, it's not really the most informed article. Yeah. But an interesting ranking. Are you concerned about the fact that your favorite Harry Potter characters go to a magic school that doesn't teach them practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? Did you go to a magic school that didn't teach you practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? If any of the above applies to you, you should check out our podcast. That's Not How Science Works, hosted by myself and my truly awesome co-host, Nicole. In our podcast, Caitlin and I discuss the science in different pieces of media, such as movies or TV shows, and dissect whether it's good, bad, or just plain ridiculous. Often, we also have special guests who help us rant about bad science and their areas of expertise. We release new episodes every other Monday, and you can find us wherever you usually download your podcasts. We like to think of this as a podcast for the science curious. So whether you're a practicing scientist or a wizard who just graduated high school with no practical life skills, we'd love for you to listen in. You can also find out more by going to our website, thatsnotscience.com, or by looking us up on Twitter, at TNHSWpod. We hope you give us a listen. Now back to your regularly scheduled Potterheads, Katie and Audrey. The pop quiz question is, what is your least favorite method of magical transportation? So it's very broad. Like, you can interpret this, like, the one that you would least like to do, the one that's the least practical. It was all up to interpretation. So I also told people they had to tell me why, because I made it, like, a test in fourth grade. (laughs) Um, what and why? So, all right, yeah, we got a lot of answers. So first we have Micah, who said, the night bus, it just doesn't seem fun at all, which I have to agree. Um, I'm not one to get carsick, but I do think it would be a little unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> Linda said, Thestrals, I hate heights, and hating heights really rules out a lot of your options like flying cars, the um, carriage, broomsticks, broomsticks, the carriage, yeah. yeah. But to be fair, all of those are very long. Like none of those yes. are the fast ones. So yes, that's true. Leia said, "Flu powder. It seems hot and sooty and would ruin your clothes, which is very true. We see this in Chamber of Secrets. They just like the." Weasleys are just covered in ash. Yeah. Unfortunate. <laughs> and and said port key roller coasters make me nauseous and it seems like a roller coaster. I agree it does seem rather unpleasant, but I do think that being someone who is gets nauseous easily rules out the majority of your options. Yeah. Cassidy said one that we didn't talk about, yeah. which is the toilet network. Just no, which <laughs> Yeah, the toilets going into the Ministry of Magic um, are another method of transportation. I get the point that, like, you don't want to step into a toilet, but, like, they're not used as toilets. Yeah. Like, I don't think that those toilets are ever used as toilets, right? No, I mean, I hope not. (laughs) But, like, the whole... I also just like the idea of being flushed down the toilet as, like, not a super pleasant one. You know? Yeah, yeah. And especially how they show it in the movies, they, like, 
spin down yeah. the toilet. Like everything requires spinning. Yeah, not my. Um, wouldn't be my favorite either. <laughs> Lita said, "Apparition. If I was bad at it, I would end up with a missing limb. If I was good, I would probably never walk any again in my life. Just apparate everywhere, which is true. It, you would really lose your exercise if yeah. you relied on apparition." And then Taryn said flu powder, which I believe is, like, the only repeat we have here. Yeah. Um, people can see into your home if you're connected. You can end up at the wrong place if you mispronounce the destination and you get covered in soot, which is a good point about people seeing into your home. Like, Harry mentions being able to, like, see. It's kind of too fast because you're, like, flying by, but... Still, yeah. This is why I definitely am in support of the idea of, like, being able to lock your fireplace if you don't, like, are you're not expecting anyone. Yeah. I think that would be smart. Okay, I think, I think I have to go with Porky. Mm. I feel like all of them kind of sound unpleasant and uncomfortable, um, but for some reason I feel like that description really, like, sticks with me as being uncomfortable. Also, like, when they don't really know how to do it and they just kind of end up, like, falling onto the ground, and it just seems like kind of inconvenient like the whole idea like what if you just like accidentally grab the wrong object and then you're like god damn it now I'm now I'm at a Celestino Warbeck concert (laughs) no that would be a good thing but it just I don't know I am not a fan of Porky's and they would not be my choice I feel like yeah I just learn to operate yeah I was gonna say it seems like the most Maybe not unnecessary is the right word, but it just seems like the most, I could do it once in my life and never do it again. Like, it feels like you only do a port key when, like, you have to do a port key. Like, if I have to travel, a port key would probably not be the first. It takes a lot of, like, front-end preparation. Right, and, like, you get nauseous and you don't have the gratification of, like, instantly doing it. Like, apparition, you don't have to plan. Yeah, yeah. It, it does seem, like, kind of frivolous, but, like, it, it also serves its purpose. Like, it's an instantaneous form of travel for people who aren't able to operate. But, because you could yeah. always just do side-along like operations. But it's, like, not instantaneous. Yeah, but it's the most instant. It's, like, like you don't have to travel. front work. Yeah. You could have to travel to your port key, though. True. Like the Weasleys do. I mean, Which I guess you could just say, like, why not side-along operate? Like... Even with going to the Quidditch World Cup, there's, what, like, four people who can apparate and six people who can't. So, like, Arthur and Bill could just take, like, two people. Or you could just, like, go and and come come back back Yeah, Like, you could just side along apparate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm not going to – flu powder is not my – or, no, pork key is not my answer. Um I don't know. I, like, feel like I want to go practicality-wise, and I feel like it has to be broomstick. Like, Like they're the least practical. Yeah. Like, especially from the big ones that we talked about, it's definitely the least practical. Like, it takes so long. Like, theoretically, a broomstick would not really be any faster than driving a car. You know? And it's less comfortable. Yeah, and it's less comfortable. I guess that, like, I mean, it depends on where you're traveling. Like, if you're traveling... You can get a more direct route, I guess. But yeah. I don't know. And like you said, like you have to do it at night, which Harry always talks about being so cold. 
when they yeah. fly at night because you have to fly like up in the clouds for that extra cover anyways so like you're getting wet it's freaking freezing <laughs> like it just yeah Like, I feel like broomstick has to be mine, even though I would love to, like, be able to fly on a broomstick. Maybe just not for transportation, maybe for fun. Like, I would love to play Quidditch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I buy that. I buy that. Thank you. I'm glad we had such a wide range of answers, though. I think that just goes to show that they're all kind of shitty methods. Yeah, which I, I, I really like that. Because it, it, like, mirrors real transportation. Like, you know, let's talk, like, planes, trains, and automobiles. Like, all of them have their positives and negatives, you know? For sure. So, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, If you are a patron, you can get your get our episodes a day early. So, that would be on Mondays, every other Monday, through the Patreon app. If you are not a patron, then you're still stuck getting them on Tuesdays. Um, but you can find those anywhere you get your podcasts. And make sure you go, you download the episodes, you subscribe, and you leave us a rating and a review. We're really trying to get up there. Um, we're doing really well with our downloads, but we would love to boost those reviews. So, five stars. Yeah, I just checked because I know a couple episodes ago I said that we were like at 40, so getting to 50 we're at 30. Be- were we at 30? No, I thought we were at 40. Well, we're at 43 now. So if we were at 30, like, wow, you guys really came through. Like, <laughs> Maybe we were at 40. <laughs> we were at 40. Um, but either way, if we were at 30 or 40 last time we spoke. Either way, thank you so much for those people who either left a rating or and or review. We are seven away from 50. 50 would be a great Christmas present to the both of us. <laughs> Um, so if you're feeling more generous in giving this holiday season, tap that five stars. <laughs> um, but you can find us on social media at Wizard Studies Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You can join our Facebook group at Wizard Studies Podcast group if you would like to answer our pop quiz question and get your answer read on the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Wizard Studies and you can email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. Audrey also mentioned that if you're a patron, you can, patron, you can get the episode a day early. So to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com and then search Wizard Studies Podcast to support us and get some extra perks. Nice. All right. So as always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brain's all wrapped. Right.